0: To Resilience in the End, a weekly podcast that recognizes we're in serious trouble but stubbornly focuses on how to find community and joy in the chaos. I'm your host Polly and today we're going to talk about the 100 mile diet challenge, uh, why I'm doing it now in the I guess we'd call quote-unquote hungry gap season and uh, why you should too. But first a quick shout out to Ellen who is the sponsor of this video they bought me several coffees on buymeacoffee.com slash poly i think not sure in the show notes below i really appreciate it thank you ellen uh people like you Help me kind of keep the lights on on this, what is essentially a, a passion project. And I really, really appreciate it. So let's start by talking about what actually the 100 mile diet is Uh, pretty obvious. <laughs> I think the premise is pretty simple. It's exactly like it sounds. You only eat food that is grown or produced within a hundred mile radius of your home. Uh, definition, I guess I would say is pretty simple. The actual execution on it, depending on where you are can be kind of tricky. Um, I feel like I'm pretty lucky. I live in Indiana. I live in a very fertile area, but unfortunately I live near farms and it's all monocropped. It is soy and corn that is not for human consumption. Um, So even in a very agricultural area like this, it can actually be really hard to come by food actually grown within a hundred miles. So when I say that I'm doing the 100-mile diet challenge, it definitely is a challenge. Uh, I think all of you can uh, probably figure that out, uh, but but I think a worthy challenge. So I came across uh, the challenge from this book, uh, The 100-Mile Diet, A Year of Local Eating by Elisa Smith and J.B. McKinnon. It's a pretty old book. I think at this point it's gosh, maybe like 15 years old. I think it's from like the early 2000s, if I recall correctly. But you know, it's a pretty timeless universal concept in sustainability. Eat food close to where you live and where it's grown. You can have a good understanding of Growing practices, whether it's really organic, even if it's not labeled as organic, if you, you know, can go to the farm. And those pesky food miles, which are a significant portion of the CO2 emissions of the foods you eat, are reduced to a minimum. Um, and for video users, I'm sorry, I really need a haircut. I'm messing with my bangs constantly and they look wild. Uh, <laughs> I apologize. Uh, maybe you should go listen to audio only (laughs) for this episode. But anyway, so the home 100 mile diet, eating food that is only grown or produced within 100 miles of where you live, pretty simple concepts, pretty, pretty difficult in execution, I guess. And if you're not sure conceptually of what that looks like, there are quite a few resources that you can just go to online and Put in your address and it'll draw a 100 mile radius around you, which is pretty cool. Uh, the one that I use, uh, if you Google "map developers draw circle tool," you should find it. Um, I'll also include it in the links below. But as you consider doing this challenge, I would go do that so you could at least have a look of of what's included in in your area. You know, suffice to say, 100 miles is quite a lot, and there are certainly um, places that you can draw from within that generally. Um, and even if it's in your yard, a lot a lot of my challenge is stuff that I grew or foraged on my property and nearby. So certainly don't think that you have to buy all of this in the spirit of reliance. Try to do some of it yourself. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Uh, let's talk about why we should try it. So, first and foremost, I think from a resilience perspective, it is unwise to continue relying on long, tenuous global supply chains. I think we saw that during COVID, right? That it is a pretty quick breakdown should there be gaps in that supply chain that fall apart. Uh, I think instinctually we understand that a really long supply chain means we can't possibly know everything that's going on there. And the more long, shaky, and mysterious the supply chain is, the more likely that there are some pretty serious ethical and sustainable violations going on. So the closer that we can get, the more we can have a connection to our food, an eye on our food, and kind of better monitor the systems that we're participating in. So from a resilience perspective, it obviously makes sense. Um, But from a sustainability perspective, too, it really is quite logical we need to think about food miles so food miles i guess if you don't know they are it's just the the distance traveled by food items from production all the way to consumption to indicate environmental impact so you know again we're thinking of uh soy that's grown in indiana and shipped to china for processing and then shipped to Thailand for packaging, and then shipped all across the globe for delivery. I'm not sure if that's exactly an accurate um depiction of things, but that does happen a lot, especially with seafood. It's caught somewhere, it's shipped across the globe, for processing and packaging, and then shipped out again—a very, very inefficient, very poor system. Um, that means a lot of our food has kind of shockingly high uh, food miles, even on processed food, and all of that has a really big impact on the sustainability of what we eat. Um, a 2022 study shared by the European Commission found that when the entire food supply chain was considered in this particular analysis. Researchers found that global food miles equated to about 3 gigatons of carbon dioxide equivalent, higher than previously thought, which indicates that transport accounts for 19% of total food system emissions. And the transport of fruit and vegetables contributes 36% of food mile emission, uh, around twice the amount of greenhouse gases released during their Production. What that basically means is that anywhere from like one fifth to a little over a third of a food's carbon emissions um, across the whole lifespan come from travel and just come from moving it from where it started to where it needs to go. And that, you know, aggregated to the whole is a gigantic amount of carbon being emitted. So the 100-mile diet, first of all, mitigates a lot of that travel simply because it's closer, right? Duh. But it also forces us to look a little more carefully at our food and forces us to pare down the menu, right? We're not just open to a full grocery store of unlimited options that have you know, are more globetrotter than we are, you know, it really limits us into what we can buy and can access, forces us to think seasonally, think locally, think more minimally about how we consume food. And I think that really helps in reducing our carbon emissions as well. So yeah, I mean, food miles aren't the only factor in your food's emissions, obviously, but it is a significant portion that could be cut down by sourcing more locally. And like I said, in addition, local food is just a more transparent supply chain when you are going and buying a CSA and picking up that CSA directly from the farmer at a local farmer's market or on their farm, you are very easily able to track that. But if you are buying bananas from i don't know brazil good luck figuring out how sustainable and ethical that product really is good luck figuring out you know exactly the the journey it went on to get to your grocery store and and just all of that and and so to me again this is like kind of that that ethical dilemma you need to think of if you are vegan or if you do eat animal products that's why i personally am comfortable sourcing um like local animal products and sometimes drinking milk um for the sake of this uh hungry gap diet i am sourcing local milk i do not typically do a ton of dairy um but you know i would much rather buy milk from a local dairy that i can go and see the cows wandering around versus soy milk that was grown processed package and Shipped thousands of miles from around the globe, likely coming um from workers who were severely underpaid and overworked uh, in ways that I have no idea how to track so yeah, I think uh, the one hundred mile diet also really I think helps in paring down ethical considerations so you can really focus on what is important to you, like for example, I am a vegetarian i've I've been a vegetarian my whole life, I would never choose to eat meat, uh, because I couldn't kill a cow, couldn't kill a chicken. So I don't think it's fair for me to offset that to somebody else. And, and also just just doesn't interest me, I have other ways of being a healthy person without, you know, killing an animal. That said, I have a little bit more of, um, you know, an ethical okayness with uh, getting eggs or getting milk from You know, chickens I can wave to, cows I can wave to when I drive down the road. (laughs) So yeah, I think it. I think it helps uh, kind of open up those ethical considerations and let you make some really informed choices. All that to say, um, the one hundred mile diet. I have done it in times past for short periods. um, You know, a couple weeks. Uh, This time I am committed to doing it for a month. It's my first week, and I am doing it in January in the very winterest bit of the year in Indiana. And so I think it is for me how I've usually done it is in the height of summer where I can go to the farmer's market, get a CSA, I'm growing my own stuff. Everybody's overrun with eggs and goat's milk and cow's milk and what have you. But I, I wanted to to try it a little differently now. So I'm doing it in this hungry gap because I think if I can do it now, um Obviously, with supplemental food, uh, alongside what I can do now, that I put up from last season, I think it should be much easier to carry on when it's prime growing season. The the challenge now, I think, will make everything else feel much easier. And this this is a practice I would like to continue on with moving forward. And on that note, uh, let's let's talk about what I'm eating. I think this challenge is maybe a little trickier for me because I don't eat meat. I think if you eat meat, uh, lots of local options open up. That said, it also probably would double or triple my budget, so I'm very happy to not do that. Right now, I'm I'm doing eggs and a very limited amount of dairy um, simply because I can't do soy right now and You know, ironically, despite the fact that if I look out my window, I can see where a soy field was uh, last year, but I could not source uh, locally grown soy meant for humans within 100 miles. So um, plus, you can't convince me that the cursed monocrop that is soy is really all that great anyway. But again, a different discussion. Um, So at some point, I'm going to have a blog post with a more pointed rundown of what I eat alongside some recipes so you can get a look at some ideas if this is something that interests you. But I will also drop my spreadsheet in the show notes so you can have a look at my food, um, the source list, as well as how much it cost me because I think that's pretty interesting and I like a good spreadsheet. But right now for me, food is mostly... Fresh bread with sweet or savory toppings. Cornmeal, again, topped with various goodies. I have lots of canned fruits from the previous season. Dumplings like vareniki, uh, you know, things with potatoes, cherry fillings. Uh, ferments like sauerkraut. Cold salads topped with walnuts locally harvested, locally right out my window. <laughs> harvested black walnuts, you know, with kind of root vegetables, beets and carrots tray bakes with homemade mayo for dipping, fruit crumbles, um, I don't know, lots of stuff. Honestly, like, it's not a whole lot different than usual, just with better, more localized ingredients and slightly pared down in the spice category. So my exceptions are salt and coffee, uh, salt because salt is, salt is life, uh, and i I don't have any reasonable expectations of harvesting that within 100 miles. Uh, coffee, because I like coffee. Um, along, as I said, with any ingredients included in previous canning efforts, like uh, vinegar for pickles or sugar for jams, as long as the base, like, fruit or vegetable was sourced locally. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's boring. Um, it's very simple. There are pretty limited, I'm getting from some farmers, some fresh ingredients but you know it's like root vegetables not not the sexiest thing but it it is that's what we should be eating this time of year so yeah so I think don't be scared by this experiment I mean maybe if you are used to a lot of convenience food and a lot of hyper processed food it might be a little shocking but I think if you have a basic grasp on cooking and, you know, prepare some of your own meals and have grown and prepared with with fresh produce and and simple things. I think you will probably be okay. I do think the one thing that comes up with the 100-mile diet that is worth considering is the cost. Because whenever I tell anybody about this, they're like, oh, isn't that expensive? And on the one hand, kinda... You know i I will say for me personally, a lot of this challenge is offset by eating what I grew or saved from my fruitful season, in particular, the two most expensive things on my list, maple syrup and nuts, I processed and foraged myself, so that would have been easily another hundred dollars added on in terms of sweetener and and nuts and some you know some kind of good fats. Um, so, I mean, it it could be expensive if you don't have access to some growing stuff. I also have paid for some of this beforehand. I went to a local orchard and picked apples and strawberries and blueberries. So that cost is kind of ameliorated throughout the year. So sure, it's it's a little bit more. Um, But I would say that my food costs for the month are under $300, which I think is, very reasonable. Um again, maybe add 100 or 200 extra dollars as you add more people or if you would, you know, need to stock up on a local sweetener or I don't know other things that you didn't save that I had on hand, but even like $500 to $600 I wouldn't say seems like a wild food budget uh for for a lot of people. Um that's just my my interpretation. Uh but again, I do recognize that I paid a lot for this in terms of either labor or cash months ago, but some of the things I bought this month, like the 25 pound bag of local flour, will last me well beyond my month-long challenge. That said, I do think eating local can be a bit pricey if you are used to bottom barrel prices or have a really strict budget. Uh, Pound for pound, ounce for ounce, things are going to be more expensive than shopping at Walmart. That is. That's just the way of it. And I will give the huge caveat that if my partner, who eats meat, were fully participating in this, it would become prohibitively expensive to support his diet, even though he only eats chicken at home. And yes, we are considering chickens this spring for eggs and potentially more. So exciting. So I'm kind of ignoring that blaring fact, which, to be honest, suggests we should all be eating a lot less meat if you are a meat eater. um, But... Yeah, I, I think there are ways to do this, even if you are on a super strict budget. I mean, as I said, I've done this for weeks in the past uh, when our monthly grocery budget for two people was like $300. So it it's, it's possible you may not be able to do it perfectly or for a long time. But I certainly think that it is possible, particularly if you are willing to omit meat, because that frees up a lot of cash. And I also have a few other caveats to counter the it's expensive argument if we set aside meat. The first thing is that you'll be buying less. um, Unless you're in the most abundant season in a land where localized food is just like so overwhelmingly abundant and accessible and like just full of opportunities... Your shopping list will be limited. You're not getting, you know, pricier, exotic, out-of-season produce. You're getting the very basics that are available. You're getting beets for a couple bucks. <laughs> uh, you're getting some carrots. You're maybe getting some apples, um, in this time at least. Um, your shopping list will be extremely limited, um, which may feel uncomfortable, but that also helps your budget. Um, And I also think in the spirit of resilience and creating some leeway for yourself, you need to work a little harder to offset the most expensive items. I tap my own maples. Uh, There will be an episode on that coming soon. I realize that is not accessible to anyone, everyone, both in terms of like location and just accessibility of maples. But I... We'll be tapping somebody else's maples uh, this year, which I will talk about. So there's an opportunity if you're interested and live in the right area. Maybe more accessible is walnuts. Like I said, if I had to buy good fats, good local nuts, first of all, I don't even know where I would find that, to be honest, but it would be incredibly expensive. That would easily be one of the most expensive portions of my diet, but harvesting nuts is so easy and free because there are tons of opportunity on public lands for you to do that. Again, growing your own herbs, people talk about a lot. Um, Those are pricey at the grocery store. You can grow that, and there's your super localized zero-mile diet (laughs) herbs. Um, You know, nuts, foraging for greens, um, you know, growing a couple of heirloom tomatoes for your sandwiches instead of buying. It does pay off to put in some some sweat equity and get that figured out to save money on your budget again in the spirit of resilience all of this community if you want money to solve your problems you will pay more but take the lessons of previous episodes get scrappy what can you barter for to get rather than paying cash there are opportunities for sure that that make local eating more accessible again because like you can't barter with a super mega global conglomerate but you can barter with bob down the road so my challenge for you is to consider the 100 mile diet i i think there are a couple ways you could play this the first one is to end up playing around with the um, radius map and identifying uh, resources that you can get 100 mile food from whether an hour later, think of a few critical items in terms of like cost, flavor, food miles uh, that you wanna replace and start with that. You could also dive right into a challenge. Um, That would be super awesome. Definitely hop into the Discord. That is in the weekly newsletter. I am going to set up a 100-mile diet channel, and I would just like to hear folks experience with, you know, either jumping all the way in or dipping your toes in. That would be really cool. I would encourage you in some way to engage with a more localized food system. I will also include some resources for getting started, especially some books in the show notes. I would love to hear your thoughts on the 100-mile diet. Like I said, uh, definitely hop into our Discord and, you know, chat, ask questions, share cool things you found, because I think this is a really valuable challenge that we can all plan to dig into. Yeah, before I go, my joy of the week, snow. We had the first kind of good snow this week and it was really wonderful and I am just so here for actual winter, which means it will get cold, which means there will be maples to be tapped very, very soon and I am so excited. So yeah, I will leave it at that. I've talked long enough. I hope you'll consider the 100 mile diet and let me know your thoughts on it and uh, yeah, talk to you next week.